And this Go. ball in the air, deep right center Go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. And Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Welcome in. The DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee. Remember to use that promo code DNVR20 because when you do that, you get 20% off your entire purchase of that CBD infused, deliciously rich, and potentially life altering Strava Craft Coffee. I'm your host, Drew Pooch. I'm the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. With me, as always, is beat writer Patrick Lyons. And on this episode, Patrick, we say goodbye once again to several great members of the baseball family uh, many of whom we've talked about over the past couple of years who've passed away it's really been uh, a tough year for the baseball family and some of these great great names that have gone obviously most recently phil necro and and we really want to highlight one of the most interesting careers anybody's ever had and we've got a special treat for all of you because we're going to run a, a little simulation while we're talking about it we'll have some of these guys who've passed away in the last couple of years frank robinson not too long ago lou brock this year al kaline uh, and we got bob gibson and phil necro on the mound so we're going to hop to that in just a minute but patrick real quick here a couple of bits of news the san diego padres do finalize the deal to get you darvish as we thought that they probably would and it sounds like the Cubs are now shopping Wilson Contreras so you can add him to the list of guys that I normally don't get excited about hearing are available and thinking the Rockies should go after and get and now there are two of them. This almost this has probably not happened to me truthfully two times in the last four or five years, and now it's happened twice in a couple of days. Kiermeyer and Wilson Contreras are guys I've always thought would fit really well in a Rockies uniform. I don't have high hopes that they'll go out and sign them or, or trade for them, but it could happen, right? Was the kid in, in <laughs> saying there's a chance? Uh, it would actually be very easy for the Rockies to get those guys, and they would not have to give up very much because, again, the contracts are are the name of the game. You know, the the biggest element with everything that the Padres ended up doing on Monday was they added $40 million in payroll, which could be almost unheard of uh, right now in, in this off season. And they got, you know, two very frontline starters. Those two starters alone for $40 million is, you know, is going to be kind of hard to do this off season, but then you throw in a a middle infielder that they might even move to the outfield uh, potentially. And, and it's, it's a nice little haul. So Colorado can, you know, can very easily go out and, you know, get those guys. It's, it's, it's adding the money, it's adding those contracts. And ultimately, you know, for the uh, 10 plus million dollars that Kiermaier would be making this year, I'm not sure about Contreras. Uh, I believe he just has one year. No, I think he has two years left on his, uh, well, he doesn't have a deal, but he's arbitration eligible. So, um, but again, they could find for probably almost even a quarter of the price of what Contreras will make in arbitration. They could get similar production. Uh, they they most likely would not get you know all star caliber seasons that Contreras would put up. Um, and I and I think that's that's kind of com- common thinking around the game right now is okay. What can, who's going to provide you the most bang for your buck? And anyone that's, you know, sitting on a contract of any value is is not going to be one of those guys. And that's why you can go out and get those pieces. If the Rockies, you know, or if the Rockies organization felt that they were a piece or two away, you very easily could go out and say, you know what, I, I don't want to give up uh, Adel Amador, you know, because he could be a, a really good player, only 17 years old. We don't know. Could he be the next, you know, coming of Fernando Tess Jr.? You know what, it doesn't matter because – hey, we can maybe swoop up a handful of guys that the Rays deem are overpaid uh, 
so we can get those guys. Or, you know, hey, uh, in in Chicago, you pick up Wilson Contreras, maybe even pick up Zach Davies too, because he's going to be making a, a few bucks. And and the Cubs are like, well, sh- why not? Let's let's really get the most bang for our buck as far as Darvish goes, and 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 trade the major league talent that we just got in that deal. And and the Rockies could get a lot, but it adds a decent amount of payroll. And as we're seeing, you know, this off season from teams, with many of our play are playing hardball, and I think they will end up adding payroll. Uh, I just don't think that we're going to see that from Colorado, but you know, you can never say never. You really can never say never. Right. I think in, in a real world as we're forcing ourselves to be uh, pragmatic these days and uh, think about those things occasionally, sometimes it's nice not to be encumbered by that, but um, yeah, I, I think in the real world to make it happen. And you mentioned sending out like a Desmond contract to Tampa uh, as a possible way of creating that space. You give them the prospect they like, you send them Desmond, who they probably just buy out immediately, but he gets to hang out in the in the areas you talked about. And then you've made it work for your finances. I think that's probably the only way the Rockies would get into doing either of those things. But yeah, never know. Yeah. And, and again, it, you know, one, the, the one thing that the Rockies probably won't do, and it, and it makes sense. I mean, for other teams, it probably makes a lot more sense, but you know, trading the idea of trading bad contracts. So like, look, we're not really getting what we want from this guy. So let's just turn around and, and trade him. I mean, essentially what, like what we saw with the Robert Stevenson, um, Jeff Hoffman deal where Ed, they both need to change the scenery. They're not making a lot of money, but still like, it's not really working out. So, Hey, uh, let's give it a shot, but it, it doesn't benefit Colorado. Even if, even if the Rockies aren't going to resign Trevor story, it doesn't benefit them to go, Hey, you know what? Um, let's go ahead and trade Trevor story for Carlos Correa. Sure. Both teams on, on paper would, you know, essentially probably stay the same. So they, they wouldn't necessarily get better. Maybe one team feels like, Hey, we could get more out of this guy than the one we gave up. But again, what kind of message are you sending to your to your fan base? You, you really only make those kind of deals of of getting rid of a bad contract when you you know you you maybe have a headache on your team or you have a guy that the fans don't have that close of a relationship or connection with. And for the Rockies, you know the guy the, the three players making the most money are their three biggest stars and are the players uh, that that. Uh, the fans are really, you know, most attached to in, in Charlie Blackman, Trevor Story, and Nolan Arenado. And so, you know, you're not going to see those contracts, you know, going anywhere. Yeah. And and therefore, you, you, you might not see anybody new coming in either. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'm hoping it sounds in the comments, let me know that I've had a little bit of mic troubles here. Hopefully I've troubleshooted them. If not, uh, we'll, we'll I'll keep figuring it out throughout the show. I'll get it taken care of. But yeah, so, you know, I, I think that's basically the news of the day to this point. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add, particularly on the Darvish thing? I think we kind of, you know, it just goes with most of what we said yesterday about the Padres. Well, the Dodgers picked up Clevenger. Garrett Clevenger, a uh, a guy who made one appearance with the Phillies. So, you know, it it's kind of funny to to, to think that, you know, the Dodgers are the ones going, oh, wait a minute, the Padres made a bunch of moves, and then they they do something that's totally innocuous. But it is interesting to think there's going to be some Dodgers fans going, wait, what? this is how you respond to <laughs> this is what you the do. Padres acquiring two aces and a huge okay. prospect from South Korea? You just got a reliever? It's like, pump the brakes. You just won a World Series. You still have a pipeline of prospects. You know what? It it just so happened still that the favorite to win the division. I'm sure the Dodgers front office was like, "Uh, we were going to do this deal on like Saturday morning and we said, you know what? Let's take the weekend off. We'll hammer out the details early next week. We know it. Every take a break. It's the holidays. Let's relax." Lo and behold, the Padres hammer out the acquisition of three players on Monday and they go, "You know, this isn't this isn't going to look really good." Um, but as it were, they they uh, add another left-handed arm to their bullpen, and yeah, maybe get a little bit better, but but not as much of a jump as we're seeing from those San Diego Padres. The way you sold that Clevenger thing, it reminded me of one of my favorite random Aaron Sorkin moments when they're talking about something that hasn't happened since Lincoln, and a character says Abraham, and the character says no, Burt Lincoln, like <laughs> it's just, it's just, oh, so, this is wrong. 
Wrong one, potentially. His brother Bertram Lincoln. Yeah, Bertram different, Lincoln. different Clevenger. Phillies uh, add a nice arm and, and Jose Alvarado, and um, and and so that was nice. But yeah, we're uh, the, the hot stove season is finally heating up. You know, we yeah. we had a we had a delayed start to the the regular season, of course, with um, you know all all the COVID delays and, and them them kind of really moving it back to just a sixty game season. You know, we had the virtual winter meetings and. In, in a weird way, they've 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 moved back the typical hot stove, you know, fervor and scuttlebutt back three weeks now, and 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 finally it's it's getting going. And really, that could be you know, very well an indicator that the teams are, you know, and and again, it, it, this would be collusion if something was said exactly along these lines. And so I think the teams are very careful of it. But at the same time, they. They all know. They all know the score. They know what's going right, on. Right. So the longer that they wait to make certain moves, and the longer that they, you know, wait for the free, you know, to, to make moves on the big free agents, which, you know, we're getting a little bit closer to. You think Trevor Bauer is being one of the top free agents, and you see him around on Twitter wearing his Padres hat and tweeting from San Diego. Well, the Padres just told Trevor Bauer, "Yeah, yeah. sorry, bud, but I think we're good here." They're, they're um, fine on that front. But now with Dar- but now with Darvish off the table and and. Uh, like Snell off the table, I think now you're going to start to see some of the free agents because that's always how it ends up happening. Is hey, I don't want to you know have to spend 150 or in a normal off season 200 million dollars for Trevor Bauer when I can get you Darvish for three years at 60 million dollars in a trade. So you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off for now. So those guys that are on the on the in the trade market and on the trade docket, those guys have to get moved first before you know we can start to see some free agent signings and because it's been taking so long and because there's so many free agents out there it's going to be hard for tony clark and the players association to say hey come on let's get the season going when half their guys are still just out there as free agents for jobs that makes it a lot easier for the owners and major league baseball to go well you know what it'll be fine they'll make their money let's just delay the start of the season which i i think we're gonna have i i I, I think May first, if we're lucky. May first, if yeah. we're lucky. We'll see. Over under. We'll see. Find it. Find it on your DraftKings sportsbook app. Um, <laughs> not doing that yet, though. We're actually pouring out our Breck Brew for some all-time great baseball players, Patrick. And we're we're gonna take some time here to talk about a few of them. Like I said, I do want us to focus in a little bit on Phil Negro because a lot of these guys we we talked about at the time as well we should have, right? And uh, we're going to run uh, a little bit of a sim here while we talk about them, but that's just going to be going on in the background. Uh, just so for those of you who aren't here and aren't joining us live, you're missing out. Remember, Facebook and Periscope every day, Monday through Friday at 4.05. And then on Wednesday, we got the the YouTube going here. Uh, but just so everyone knows where we're at before we get into talking about uh, Phil Necro, the two teams we've got set up here, uh, obviously, I had to keep a few Rockies players. It just sort of occurred to, to me today to to do this idea. So I, I went through the list of the most recent sort of Hall of Fame caliber players who've passed away, uh, put a few on the Rockies, put a few on the isotopes. Uh, so for the Rockies, we got Lou Brock, Al Kaline, Willie McCovey, Dick Allen, Yogi Berra are the legends that have recently passed and they're filled out by Trevor Story, Josh Fuentes, and Garrett Hampson. And then for the isotopes, Mini Minoso. Can't wait to talk a little Mini Minoso. Uh, Bill Buckner, Gary Carter, Frank Robinson uh, are the legends there, filled out by Nolan Arenado, Charlie Blackman, Ryan McMahon, and uh, Brandon Rogers. Phil Negro was, you know, the the best knuckleball pitcher of all time, and there's not very many. Like, let's let's be clear, there's not a lot of guys but who still- are in that fraternity or, or in that family and all of those guys help each other out you know there's there's plenty of stories out there about you know tim wakefield who was i mean there's been a a, a couple guys since tim wakefield obviously r.a dickey being uh number yeah. one you know having won a cy young award joe necro never did but nevertheless you you've got you know only a handful of guys that have thrown the knuckleball to you know any amount of success. I mean, there's guys in the minors who do it that you barely even hear of, and you know they're not necessarily going to get that opportunity in the majors. Maybe just as as a spot start, but you know was was 
Phil Nico didn't start his career, I believe, until age 28. Uh, no, he started at he did start at 22 years old. But but he according didn't, to Baseball Reference, yeah, I mean, he didn't really get a, a more yeah. than 15 innings in the big leagues till age 26. Exactly right. So he he had that very late start, you know, and and, and pitched the Braves when they were in Milwaukee. Uh, interestingly enough, that's that's how far he goes mm-hmm. back. But the the coolest thing that I like looking at on his page is his you know strikeout per nine numbers because he didn't strike out a lot of guys. Uh, right. Strikeout numbers were were down in general, but even still, you you look at a guy like a Ferguson Jenkins who struck out like six and a half per nine. Joe Necro only struck out five and a half. He wasn't striking guys out. Only led the league once and that was in 1977 he was just pitching to contact he was just a knuckleballer that's it right just just kind of getting it over the plate hoping he knew where it would it would go um but got that late start to his career you know pitch until he was 48 years old oh look at that thing Ooh, Ugh, just yeah dancing. yeah uh 318 wins things? too Oh. Yeah, when you look at his baseball reference page, you know how they'll they'll put in bold anytime uh, you, you lead the league in a category. And looking at his page, they're just bold all over the place. Uh, some of my favorites are he pitched over 300 innings, one, two, three, four times. He pitched over 300 innings. Guys rarely pitch over 200 innings these days. Uh, but actually my favorite stat on this whole thing, Patrick, is that in 1979 he led the league in wins and losses? Yes, 21 and 20 he was with a 3.39 ERA. Like, it, what a strange year! Yeah, and and that was a time in which you know wins and losses were pretty important. Yeah. Uh, obviously, wins were important, um, but but it was the losses too. And you know, Atlanta was was not terribly good that year. So he, you know, he barely got a couple of votes in the Cy Young Award um, voting that year. And yet you go and look and according to wins above replacement, he had, you know, almost two wins uh, greater than the next uh, best guy that, that finished in voting. And so those 20 losses kind of, you know, loomed rather large uh, according to, voters at that time and right you know zra plus wasn't wasn't terribly great but again keep in mind that was at a time where when atlanta played in in fulton county stadium they called it the launching pad right. you know because it was a it was over a thousand feet above sea level um which which Imagine. was something yeah which which was something that obviously was uh in in a lot of people's minds at that time but you know to phil necro that that probably played to his advantage i don't know it would be interesting to see if there would ever be a knuckleball pitcher at Coors Field and what that altitude could possibly do right. to a knuckleball. Uh, set this one at the polo grounds, which creates an interesting problem for him as well because, you know, you're a fly ball guy when you're a knuckleball pitcher. You're you're getting guys to think they can hit that thing out, but they get underneath it. You're seeing a lot of them here, uh, and you just don't want them to pull the ball, uh, get it down the line there. Uh, different kinds of problems, but I've wondered about that too. Would a knuckleball work in the altitude? Would it dance right? Um, would it just float up there and get absolutely destroyed? Uh, yeah, I've, I've spent a lot of the the time since Negro passed wondering about that. And there, there's probably been a handful of guys, at least in the Pacific. This could be Coast an inside League. the park home run. Oh no, it's going to get cut off. That's another thing about the polo grounds. The only uh, I don't know who hit that. You know the speed, but you can hit a ball into the right center field gap, and it will roll for ever yeah there's there's probably been some guys in the pcl and, and some of those high altitude places uh like fresno formerly uh in, in a triple a club you know albuquerque you know even even before they were the isotopes when they were the dukes a uh, a dodgers minor league affiliate you know there there's guys who have done that before and, and you can kind of get an idea as to you know, how well they would have done it. You know, his brother, Joe Negro also threw a knuckleball, the most wins ever by uh, a brother duo. Um, there's, there's right. the, the Perez brothers. There were three of them that pitched in the majors. Um, so whether, whether it's a pair or a trio of brothers, Joe and Phil Negro are tops. And it's, it's a much more balanced 
a group of brothers, a pair of brothers, to uh, to be at the top of the list because the right. group of brothers to have the most home runs, not the DiMaggio's. Uh, it's it's not Lee and, and Carlos May or anyone like that. Uh, it's the Aaron brothers, Hank Aaron with 755 and Tommy right. Aaron with three. Right, right, uh, right. Right. Not not very fair there, but uh, Yogi Berra looks like a miniature version of Babe Ruth here. Yeah, yeah, He's a stocky guy, I guess, but you know, you know, I don't know how much they got. The yeah. the the interesting thing about the seven Hall of Famers who passed away it's it's the first time there has been seven players enshrined in the Hall of Fame to die in the same year, but yeah. it's actually the second time seven Hall of Famers passed away in 1972. There were six ball players and, and and one executive, George Weiss, being the seventh. But the the names of those guys, uh, first first one is a name that I I honestly wouldn't have guessed he was a Hall of Famer. I've no I've I've heard seen the name around, but uh, mm-hmm. didn't remember he was specifically a Hall of Famer. And Dave Bancroft, uh, Zach Wheat, great outfielder with with Brooklyn. That's a it's it's a great fantastic name and it pairs well uh, with yeah. with our. Uh, <laughs> With our Breck Brew segment here, Zach Wheat, a pie trainer, Gabby Hartnett, known for the Homer in the Gloaming, great Chicago Cubs catcher, and then two all-time legends in 1972. Jackie Robinson, who died tragically uh, very young. I, I don't even know that he yeah. was 50. He might have been 49. Yeah. And right. Roberto Clemente. Also who, tragically young. Yes, oh, who wow. who died, of course, in in a plane crash, um, bringing supplies to to those impacted by a hurricane. So, yeah, it's uh, it's sad. I think there's now seventy five living Hall of Famers, um, uh, from from the Baseball Hall of Fame. And the one cool thing that they've done up in Cooperstown, I don't know when they instituted this. Maybe maybe about a decade ago, I was able to experience this in 2014, and it, it blew my mind. And it was like, ah, it's 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 a free it's a free event, and yet, right? You know, they they could charge twenty five dollars, and ultimately, all it is is just a parade down Main Street. They're a little three block yeah. Main Street in Cooperstown. Yeah. They have a barricade. You set your lawn chair up. You sit there, and you know, a local Ford dealership or whoever is just driving these trucks down. And there it is, George Brett, and he's waving to everybody, and Robin Yount waving to everybody, and it's it's absolutely amazing. And again, you know, with Larry Walker getting in, Rockies fans can make that pilgrimage. And even if they, um, you know, if if it's not a year that Todd Helton is getting in, or or Arenado, or whoever else, they'll still be able to go, and they can almost you know guarantee and count on Larry Walker being there because for the most part, all the living hall of famers go unless, you know, they're, they're coaching or they're still right, you know right. working within the game of baseball. It's, it's an opportunity for them to, to touch base with, with fans, welcome the new guys too, uh, and say, Hey, welcome to the club, have those, you know, really big moments. And it, and it's just sad to think that the parade is going to be, you know, that much shorter overall. Yeah. Uh, we did get the question just reminded me about, yeah. Oh yeah. Do that real quick. And then I'll, I'll say what you reminded me. Yeah. Total, uh, in the hall of fame, kind of easy to remember because, uh, Larry Walker being one of the, actually being the last guy, I guess they gave Jeter, you know, uh, his number just before Larry Walker, but Larry Fair Walker's enough. favorite number was three, three, three. How right. many hall of famers are there? 333. Yep. That should be very easy to remember. Not going to say like I knew what the number was in the last couple of years, but no. right now I damn right now, well know 333 uh, on the nose. And that does include like executives and, and all of that. I, I believe the number yeah. of players is something closer to 215 or 220. I'd have to look it up, but I think it's somewhere in that range. Might but even yeah, be might even a little higher, but but right, yeah, yeah we yeah, right. yeah. we we gotta you know again give give respect to to a lot of those executives. Effa oh, yeah, Manley, yeah. the only female. Uh, right. In any sports hall of fame, right? Which is fantastic, and 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 hopefully you know we'll we'll see more of those guys. You know George Steinbrenner will have his day, you know getting in, uh, enshrined. He uh, you know recently passed away several years ago, right? Um, you know I I think there it, it's probably a very low number, but you know you could see you know Dick Monfort possibly. This is gonna that'll sound Get crazy. 
<sighs> you know, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. what else would need to happen. Let, let, I don't want to take that back, but 10 <laughs> years ago, 10 years ago, Dick Monford may have had a 10% chance of being a Hall of Famer. And I'll That's, frame it in this yeah. way. You say, all right, well, hey, uh, they're, they, uh, they might have a little dynasty on their hands. Maybe they'll break through with a couple World Series the next uh, you know, decade or so, uh, put together a dynasty. But most importantly, what he did was spread the game of baseball. He was a component, kind of the guy that will go ahead and baseball history can give credit to for bringing baseball to the mountain time zone. Sure. And, and yeah, expanding that's, that's the fair. game uh, from essentially the Mississippi all the way to the Pacific coast. You know, there's, there's almost nobody in between and, and the Rockies become that now with, unfortunately the pioneer league kind of going by the wayside and really Denver uh, as, as a, as a big market kind of just being this anomaly and, and nothing else around it really developing, you know, outside of Phoenix, I think a lot of wind has kind of taken out of has been taken out of those sales, but I, I do think there was a point in time where, again, uh, Dick Monfort hey, could have been given a lot. They went a couple World Series. It's back on the table. Come on, let, let me talk you off of that so easily. Um, no, but yeah, I, I you you do make a good point, and one that I often try to remind people of that owning a baseball team actually is, believe it or not, about more things than just winning all the games. I know you feel like that should be the only thing, but they're actually more and some would argue, and I would argue more important responsibilities toward being an owner of one of 30 major league baseball teams, the amount of power and responsibility that comes to your employees and to your community. And on those accounts, Dick Monfort yeah. has been a hall of fame owner. Um, he, you also reminded been, me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, he's, and, and, and I think that that might be the dividing line. That might be the line that Monfort has not crossed to, to earn. And I don't think he will cross that line is he's been a great leader in Denver, right? Everything with building Coors Field, uh, not, you know, letting go of, of, of a lot of scouts and people within the organization, you know, to, to save, you know, $2 million, let's say, right. He could go out and say, ah, we got to get rid of these 150 staff members that we have. You know, it's going to save our organization two million. You go, two, that's it. Like you realize how much the players are getting paid. Right. Yet you just, you know, force 150 people into unemployment to save yeah. two million dollars. He's not doing it. So he is he is unequivocally a great leader. And again, if we're talking about great leaders in in Denver or Colorado sports history, then you're talking, you know, a Hall of Fame guy. But where he, I guess, hasn't crossed the line is I don't think that he's been a leader within the game of baseball. He's not made right. any, you know, major impacts where, you know, maybe he he would have had the opportunity. I don't I don't know what he would have necessarily need to have done. Um, you know, build up the Colorado Springs market more. You know, I, I don't know that that's necessarily his responsibility, but you know, just just being the 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 a chance here for a nightmare. Look at this ball into the gap, and it could be an forever. inside the park home run for a forty-three guy with speed. Finally, got some scoring in this thing. Goodness gracious, what an interesting silly ballpark was that? I think that was, uh, yep, that was Yogi Berra driving in a pair to put the Rockies back on top, getting one off a of bomb. Yogi Berra held the. He lead probably the did not hit very many inside the park home runs in his career. That's. Probably That's pretty not. easy to figure out, but yeah, I it, it, Mumford's not getting in the Hall of Fame, um, but mm. but but he certainly deserves those accolades when it comes to this market and right. and what he's been able to do. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with McGregor Square. There's been a little hubbub about that. It was set to open uh, this week, uh, New Year's Day. We'll, we'll see if that, that that finally happens, and we'll see what that impact. And again, and, and everything he's been able to do. Uh, for the Lodo area, but um, s slim to none chance. But, hey, you never know. Right. So one of the things that you reminded me of there when you were talking about uh, in, in 72 and the two players who, you know, tragically passed a bit early is that uh, I did come across a couple of names in the last few years who also um, tragically fall into that category and did put one of them uh, under the bullpen. So if something happens in this sim, we may see Roy Halladay uh, jump out there yeah. uh, because he obviously in the last five or six years here uh, tragically passed away far too young. And Jose Fernandez, 
who I did not have time to get in the game. And obviously we'll, we'll never know whether he could have been a hall of famer, what, whether he would have been a hall of famer. I think we can say he could have been a hall of famer. He, he was an extraordinary yeah. pitcher at a very young age and, you know, was doing all kinds of special things. And so, uh, th- those are a few other guys that, uh, you know, obviously passed away recently, but, uh, far before their, their time. Do you know, uh, how old Jose Fernandez would have been in the 2021 season? 30. Oh, he would have been going into his age 29 season. Man. Yeah, he'd have been he'd have been 28 oh. going into the year, turning 29. Um, Jordani Ventura, another guy who yeah. uh, died while active. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a, a rough couple of years, um, as we've been saying, for the for the baseball family. Um I did want us to talk about a couple of these other guys and Patrick, since they've got the ribbies in this one, Gary Carter turned on a pitch early from Necro to get the only score for Albuquerque so far and a home run to left. And then we saw Yogi Berra driving in a couple there, a couple of all time great catchers and New Yorkers. What are your, uh, I know we've talked about both of these guys a little bit, but I think they also both passed away before we were doing this podcast together. And so, uh, I wanted to get your take just as a, you're from that area, right? Is that right? I, I think, I feel like that, that might be correct. That would be correct. Yes. Uh, yeah. He, you know, Gary Carter is, he's actually behind me here with my uh, original 1988 starting lineup figurines. Uh, there he is a uh, member of the New York Mets was, you know, kind of a hall of fame guy even before that with, with Montreal and, um, you know, it was brought over as, as one of the leaders for that, that 1986 team. And, and Lord knows they, they needed those leaders. That was a very wild bunch, but, uh, Gary Carter was, you know, a fantastic hitting catcher, a guy who like every year you could count on him for 20 homers, 95 RBI. Again, go back and look, uh, won, won several gold gloves, you know, was, uh, yeah, I think he went to. 10 consecutive all-star games from age 25 to 34. So, you know, he had, he died very young, 57 years old, uh, I believe, uh, from, from brain cancer, uh, unfortunately. And, and Yogi Berra, uh, died a few years after that in, in 2015. And he, he's just everybody's grandfather. Like he, he's just that he's guy. Baseball's grandfather. Really was, you know, he, he was a much better baseball player than, than so many people remember because he's just this kind of iconic baseball pop cultural figure where he had all these great phrases. You know, if you come to the fork in the road, take it. Uh, no one goes to that club anymore. It's always so busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it gets late early out here. Uh, going to the pizza place, saying, you know, how many slices – does that uh, does this pizza come in and, and the guy says eight and he goes oh gosh you know cut him in six I can't eat that many and yeah. you know half the things he may have said half maybe not but he was that quirky kind of guy and you know he would always come back for old timers day at Yankee Stadium and all the players just looked up to him he was he was everyone's grandfather and he was just uh, a beautiful soul. And, uh, you know, the Yogi Berra Museum still lives on today in, in Montclair, New Jersey. Uh, I think, in fact, one of the, the partner league teams, I think, that uh, is partnering with MLB, I think even uh, is using those facilities, the New Jersey Jackals. So, uh, you know, was... Great name. Yeah. Well, again, everyone, everyone's grandfather. And, you know, went to about, I think, 14 straight All-Star Games. Uh, three-time MVP, the only catcher to win back-to-back MVP awards, right? Uh, which which was pretty rare. Ended up actually finishing his career with with the Mets. He was essentially a coach at the time, but ended up coming on for uh, for four games that he played at at the age of forty. But Lawrence Peter Barra was, uh, you know, just just a one of a kind guy, and that was definitely one of those days when he passed away along with, you know, Phil Rizzuto and, and just a few other guys where I, I just, you, you cry and you go, oh, man, this was just someone who was always around. And, and, and the first time you hear about them, you know, they're legendary and all you do is hear nothing but uh, 
the, the stories and the tales of, of what they were able to do on the ball field and off the field. And they were just larger than life. And then for one day, they're not a part of your life and a part of the baseball world. It, it's, it can be crushing. And it's, 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 it's a moment where you kind of realize like, man, life is, uh, life can be fleeting and we have to make the most of it. And, Tell people around you that that you love them, and when you when you get your the opportunity, because you just don't know uh, when you're going to get another chance. So, Carter and, and Yogi, rest in peace. Uh, they're they're definitely missed every day in and around the New York metro area. Yeah, you know, one of the things as I was sort of going through and looking at all this, it it reframed a conversation we often have about catching and catchers and the difficulty and a rarity to be able to play that position at an elite level and to do so for a long time. And these are two of the best ever. And it, it's sort of amazing that, uh, you know, that they did pass so close to each other because when you look back over history, there just aren't many other catchers really like, you know, as, as I was looking through all these lists over the last several years or just over the last couple of decades, you know, there just haven't, been very many uh, guys at, at that spot kind of come and go. And so to be able to to be one of those guys, to become an indelible member of the baseball family and do it at a spot that just chews people up and, and spits them out, uh, really, really impressive. And and I think worth like even reexamining like the rarefied air as ball players that these great catchers live in, guys like, Yogi Berra. I almost am, I'm starting to think of it like presidents. You know, they talk about, you know, the only people who really know what it's like to sit in that chair are the people who've sat in that chair. The only people who really know what it's like are the people who've, who've had to do that. And I feel like that about, about my, these major, and particularly like Hall of Fame catchers. How many are there? Back to that question. Well, the 19. There's only 19, 19 catchers. Uh, it's the least of any position um, followed closely behind. Uh, I, I actually know a third base. I think has seventeen, um, so so it's it, it's right there. And again, it chews them up, spits them out, like you said. So so nineteen guys, uh, living Hall of Famers. I, the only one that um, comes comes to me right now is Johnny Bench, being being that uh, that guy. You know, yeah. Gabby Hartnett, as I mentioned, old timer, um, Carter, Yogi Berra. Pudge Rodriguez still alive, yep. of course. Great Hall of Yachty Famer. Yachty will get in in a couple of years, right? So he's the next one. He's the next Hall of Fame catcher. Uh, Joe Maurer will be up before you know before him, and oh, you Piazza know, while, recently got in. That's right, Piazza. Um, so while, while I don't in? necessarily, I don't, I don't know that I would vote for him the first go round, uh, which is strange. You know, if you don't vote from the first time, why would you vote from the? T- I think I eventually totally he will get in. Yeah. I, you know, again, it's, it's, it's like a candidacy in, in, in a lot of ways. And so, you know, I, I think he could be, um, deserving. I, you know, I don't know that we've wrapped our head around this generation or, or, or the past two decades, uh, even, even a lot of the numbers from the late nineties to present yeah. day, you know, where right. it was 3000 hits got you in now that's, incredibly hard to do That's, we're not going to no. see as many guys doing it. 300 wins for a pitcher right even harder i don't think that's gonna be something that happens a lot so um i i think joe maurer you know won three batting titles uh one one back-to-back batting titles uh you know the only other catcher to do that besides uh, ernie lombardi so yeah you know he, he's he might not necessarily have the compiling numbers but he does have you know, the numbers just from, from his prime, yeah. which again is, is rare. It's, it's rarefied air. So A quick Carlton update, Fitz. just so everyone knows where we're at here on the game. Whitey Ford has just come in to relieve Bob Gibson and he'll get a fly out to ride on his first pitch. Uh, his Rockies are up three to one over the Albuquerque isotopes. Still looking for uh, I'm sorry. He, he's on the isotopes. He's pitching from behind here. Rockies at the plate with their lead. This one's going to go seven. So if it holds, uh, the Rockies get this one behind Phil Necro. Uh, but yeah, man, you think Buster Posey gets in? 
without looking, you think Buster Posey is a Hall of Fame catcher? I, I think he's probably in the same vein as uh, Joe, Mauer. Joe Mauer, yeah. which he might be more of a Veterans Committee guy than you know tenth ballot guy. I, I think I vote for him. I think people I just Buster revere Posey. him so so much that it's <laughs> like you can look past the numbers. Like I think that was um, unfortunately you know one of the benefits uh, that Roy Halladay received, where you know people might not have dove too deep into his numbers. And just said, you know what? This is this is difficult. This is challenging. It feels hard to say no. So it's it, it's the t- tie goes to the to the tragedy almost. It, as as crazy as that might seem, uh, that's not to say that Roy Halladay is a Hall of Famer. Right. But would he have been a first ballot right. Hall of Famer? I don't know. I, I don't I don't know necessarily right. that he right. would have been. Um, Rocky's playing with fire here. They put in Philip Deal for what could be the final half inning. They've got two Hall of Famers. I gave them to not have to do this. And instead, to try to get the save, they go to Philip Beal. The other catcher that uh, that we did forget, uh, Pudge. So we got Pudge Rodriguez. Don't forget yeah. Pudge Fisk, Carlton Fisk, and uh, right. recent inductee. Uh, well, he will be in 2020, Ted Simmons. So of the 19 catchers, there's only five that are alive right now. So it's, it's it's a it's a very rare thing. I think there's a couple other guys. You can make the case uh, gets in, get in uh, eventually with with veterans committees. You have you know Elston Howard, um, another great uh, catcher with with the Yankees. Their their first black player, Elston Howard was fantastic. Uh, Bill Freehan, uh, look up his numbers with the Tigers. You know was was uh, a great catcher on on some really good Tigers teams uh, throughout the seventies. And yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm I'm curious because I I've been working with somebody on a on a project that uh, hopefully we'll be able to actually unveil here on DNVR coming up soon. But you know, will Chris Ionetta make a Hall of Fame ballot? By that I mean, will he be on the list? Because right. every year, you know, some guys come off the list, and that that in and of itself is is very prestigious. You know, just to get on the list, and even if no one votes for you, yeah, or hey, one guy threw me a vote. It wouldn't even matter. Just to be on the ballot to be considered is a right. huge honor. And so you have a guy like Chris Iannetta. just makes me think, I don't know, maybe. Charles Johnson was put on a ballot once. Yeah. Did not get any vote. Did not get a single vote. But uh, I, I think, you know, maybe. I think there's a chance Chris Iannetta could be put on the ballot. Might not get, he probably won't get any votes because uh, he's not a Hall of Famer. But <laughs> Well, right. Right. Again, if That's you think a, of the guys who retired in the past year, he, he you know played the, the minimum ten years in the big leagues. And um, again, if if you're if you're looking at other guys who have retired from the catcher position after the twenty nineteen season, he might be the only one. So could be the de facto catcher on that ballot it's in like when they gotta put on the on the all star team or whatever, it's like, oh, it's gotta put somebody on there. Yeah. Well, the, did you – now, Al Kaline was uh, another one of those guys mm-hmm. who passed away. Um, you know, we I think we briefly talked about it at the time, um, that being, you know, your your father's favorite player right. growing up. Were there any, any new stories since, you know, Kaline's passing that kind of like struck you or, or just new memories that were rehashed or talking with your mom that, that you go, oh, okay, I didn't know this and oh, my – Dad went to this game when he was a kid. It was the only time. Just any of those things that kind of drums up stories. I told the where you battery go, story, oh, right? Okay. I already told the battery story. You got the battery right? story. very yeah, good. That's very obviously good. the big one. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like um, because we talked about it and, you know, a lot of it had to do with – because I don't even think Dad got to see him play live all that much. And it's amazing, you know, we've talked about a lot lately – who leaves an impression, you know, we did our, our role players podcast yesterday. And it's like some of these guys who you would never think of as all time greats. And obviously Al Kalon was an all time great and he left an impression, but was he ever considered the best ball player, you know, in the game and probably not right. Probably, probably at no time was he considered the best. And, and I, so I framed it more like this, Patrick is like, we started the, the pro wrestling chat on our private discord, right? People talking about their favorite pro wrestlers. 
Dog. I love the Rock and Stone Cold as much as anybody. Shawn Michaels, Hulk Hogan, your guy, Macho Man, Randy Savage. My favorite wrestler growing up was Kane. And there's a lot of people listening to this who kind of know wrestling who maybe are like, wait, you mean the big red guy? Yeah, the big red guy. And, and I think that maybe whether I knew it or not, a lot of that sort of got passed down, right? This, you're, you don't, like you said, you don't have to take the, the guy who's everyone else's, but this guy's my guy. You know what? I don't, right. I know he's probably not going to win the championship. Kane's not going to hold the belt, but that's my guy. You know, that, that's my guy. And, and I felt like, you know, I, I've sort of come to understand that. And that's always been my case with watching the Rockies. Juan Pierre, that was my guy. Ramel Tapia, that's my guy. You know, and, and so we do all this stuff and, and people think sometimes I'm inclined to overrate or come to bat too much for a player like Nolan Arenado. Like, he needs me to sing his praises. And I mean, Nolan's greatness is obvious. I do think, ironically, he's a little bit underrated in the same way that I think Larry Walker and Todd Helton are a little bit underrated because of the cooler stuff. But it's like, but I think it's that draw too. Like Larry Walker was never considered the best player in the game, but at times on any given day, could he be? Absolutely. And it's the same thing with Al Kaline. And that, that was sort of the, the sense that I got, right? Yeah. What, you know, he, he was uh, second place in MVP voting twice. He had a third place finish. And actually, I think it was like 15 years apart, too. So he did it young, did it when he was old. I, I like finding symmetry in things. And so I do find it interesting that your favorite wrestler, his nickname was the Big Red Machine, baseball. Right. And you cannot spell K-Line without Kane. First two letters, the last two letters. How about that? How about Symmetry. That? Symmetry. Yes. Uh, so there were... A couple yeah. other ones. Yogi Berra, Carlton Fit. Uh, no, sorry, Yogi Berra, Gary Carter, both number eight in New That's York. Good. Both of them for the Mets too. But now I got to ask you about your guy, and I forgot to mention him earlier, so I threw a quick one on. We're not going to finish this thing. It's a it's a five inning quick starter. But Tom Seaver passed away this year. Tom, terrific. Uh, Again, legendary guy that I, I feel like I should know a lot more about. I mean, I, I know plenty, but he he was a Mets guy. And so me, you know, following the Yankees, it was eh, you know what? I'll I'll, all I'll learn more. To me. <laughs> I'll I'll learn more about Allie Reynolds, you know what I mean? And, sure. and Red Ruffing and and Urban Shocker, like these these old school Yankee guys that, you know, weren't even Hall of Famers. It, it didn't matter because, you know, they were Yankees. And so the Mets, uh, that's that's those guys, but was just dominant. And, you know, his, his career started out in, in a really interesting way where, you know, he was signed out of USC, I think by Atlanta. And they, they, they deemed that uh, it was somehow an illegal signing. I forget the specifics of it. And so uh, he was... I think he was made a, a, a just a straight up free agent, and so uh, signed with the Mets, and and very quickly, you know, made his mark by his third season. He, you know, led them. Uh, he won the Cy Young Award, and and the '69 Mets, you know, finally broke through the the original team that uh, was a, was a tanking club, you know, having having lost a right. hundred plus games for uh, the first seven years of their existence, uh, although right. they weren't intentionally doing it. That's that's the big difference. But you know, even and and here's proof of how great of a of a pitcher Tom Seaver was, and and how much guys you know had so much to prove. I mean, we we still see it in today's day and age, but um, I feel like it happened a lot more so back in the day, quote unquote, as it were, where you hit a certain age and someone just deems that ah, you know what, you're kind of over the hill. So Frank Robinson. You know, thanks for your service here in Cincinnati. We're going to trade you to the Orioles for Mil Pappas. We're just going to try to get get something Oops. because you're on the wrong side of, of 30. And, yeah, goes and wins an MVP in the American League, first player to to ever do that. And and Tom Seaver, you know, was, was traded to Cincinnati and still continued to pitch at a very 
very high level. Uh, was only an all-star, you know, two more times uh, after his trade, but you Stuff. know, one one fifteen or more, uh, four other times, fourteen or more, five other times. Um, you know, was was a very good pitcher with uh, with the White Sox even at age forty. So uh, I, I think he even threw a no hitter with with the White Sox. So. Again, was, was a guy who bet on himself, 311 wins, Tom Terrific, just a super nice guy, and I'll, and I'll just never forget. And, 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 and the sad thing is, again, with, with all of the guys who passed away this year, and you know, I, I became less of a guy who, who wanted to get autographs uh, in, in my older age. Now I just, just would love to just meet the guys and, and shake hands. Like if I, when I see someone in the airport, just a head nod, just mm-hmm. like, hey, I know who – you know, I want you to know that I know who you are, head nod, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you your peace because you're a human being. Yes, to me, totally. you might be an idol or you might just be somebody famous or notable, but you're just a person. You've got a headache. You've got this, you know, red eye flight, whatever it may be. I'm going to leave you alone. So just, just, just those moments. I'd rather have the moment than, than the piece of paper or the baseball with the signature. But there was a time in which that was, you know, more valued to me. And so going to the hall of fame in, in 1999 seeing you know one of the greatest classes ever enshrined um with with george brett robin Yount, nolan ryan uh orlando cepeda was voting through the veterans committee i thought carlton fisk was a shoe-in but he got in the, the next year yeah. um but those were all guys just had to see and uh that was a, a magical time up there in cooperstown got got willie Mays's autograph got to shake his hand uh then immediately turned around and was was standing in line waiting to get pete rose and willie stargell's autograph and it's like um, is this is this real this is crazy and uh as my dad and i you know we're, we're relaxing at the end of the day kind of planning what we were going to do the, the next day once we get in town we got all the flyers saying all right what, which place are we going to go to next whose autograph do we want to get we got oh man tom siever yeah oh, i'd love to get him you know what we'll get him eventually we'll get him eventually he's still young Let's see if we can get some of the older guys, and that was it. And so I, I never got to to shake hands with Tom Terrific. Uh, never, never got to meet him. Never, never was able to to really cross paths with him. And and same thing with Bob Gibson, who didn't always go to Cooperstown. He was a guy that was on the top of my list for a very long time. The last time when I went in 2014, uh, I made Frank Robinson a priority, and I was able to meet him. And he was very funny and. And very nice, and so that was a, a privilege, you know. Again, getting just getting to shake his hand was, you know, has a ton of value to me, and, and just to kind of occupy the same space. And that's that's why I think everybody needs to get get up to Cooperstown if you're a baseball fan, even if you're not occupying the the space of a Hall of Famer, literally during a parade or during a ceremony, anything like that, just to occupy the space. Where all of these artifacts that these these great players and 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 great human beings, many of them, um, were able to to be a part of. But if you can go during induction weekend, if if there is an opportunity for that this summer, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Go out there and see Larry Walker because you don't know if you're going to get that opportunity again. You don't know if if Todd Helton's going to get in. You don't know if uh, if when he does, he's he's not going to be uh, you know an old man or, or God forbid something worse than that. You don't know. Right when that opportunity is is going to come. So you got to make the most of it. And I think that's unfortunately the biggest takeaway um, in 2020, not just because of these seven great hall of famers who passed away and including Dick Allen, make him eight. Eventually he'll get in. Um, But in general, what we've learned in 2020 is to uh, try to appreciate life, the best of your abilities and and, and tell those people around you that you love, that you love them. Cause Right. Who knows when you're going to get that chance again? So one of the people that we haven't talked about yet, who's in this, Patrick, that I did want to make sure that we, we didn't mention. We, we barely mentioned him at the top was Minnie Minoso. Talk about someone who did get uh, a good, long, full life, man. Born in 1925, died in 2015. Uh, what a career. But of course... You know, if, if you're again, if you're looking at the baseball reference page and the bold stats, he led the league in stolen bases a couple of times and triples a couple of times, doubles once, hits once, 
games hit by once, pitch but nine out of ten years about. that's what you're nine looking at out of ten years he got hit by pitch more than any this guy's the, he's 192 192 wow 92 times he was hit by the pitch i believe craig biggio does have the the record for most hit by pitch at 285 so yeah i mean uh yeah also, Minoso, uh, I was just going to say, we're go also going to have to do a little research on this, unless you know the answer. 76 and 80? In 1976, at age 80, Minnie Minoso suited yeah. up and played three games for the Chicago White Sox? So that was one of the, the, the biggest things to him. And I think in a weird way, that's kind of made him more of a spectacle and it maybe has taken away from his... Hall of Fame resume. So to even go back a, a, a bit further, you know, was was born in Cuba. Was a, one of the first Cuban ball players to come over. Um, you know, just before I, you know, everything got got shut down and it, and it became much bigger of an issue. But for what that means to the for those ball players in the Caribbean, you know, he was a he was a trailblazer. You know, in a lot of ways, you know, made his debut in 1949, um, only two years after Jackie Robinson. So he's both, you know, a Cuban ball player who speaks minimal English, right? Um, right. But he's also a, a, a black player uh, as right. well, right? Um, so had had a lot of challenges to deal with. Uh, spent a majority of his career with the White Sox. And, you know, the owner at the time, Bill Veck, he was very much into <laughs> into spectacles oh. and, and things of that nature. So right. his career ended at, at 38 years old and was, you know, fantastic. 298 career hitter. Um, I don't, I'm not sure what his jaws numbers are. I, I, I don't think they're that great left field 22nd all time. So, okay. Um, still really good. Um, there, there's only a couple guys, you know, uh, ahead of him, uh, at 21, you've got Ralph Kiner, 17, Joe Medwick, 16, Zach Wheat getting a lot of attention on the episode. Say, big day for Zach Wheat on this day. Yeah. Lance Berkman also ahead of Minnie Minoso, but, uh, ultimately, uh, Bill Veck, the owner who was, Again, uh, yeah. with the with the White Sox, I think he did uh, demolition disco demolition night. Right, people disco bring demolition. their old uh, Bee Gees oh, records. Uh, yeah. I, I think they were the only disco band out there. Um, mm -hmm. But no, I'll bring all these records. They had a wrecking ball, smashed it, and then again they had to uh, delay the the second game of a doubleheader. Five cent beer night. Uh, back when beer, I, I imagine, was still like you know at least fifty cents. So today's you know day and age, imagine if it was two bucks you know, for a, a Breck beer at Coors Field. Like, it's going right. to be a little crazy and wild. That was another game that got derailed. And so what Bill Veck realized was like, you know what? Uh, Minnie Minoso played in the 40s, right? Just got in there in 1949. Played throughout the 50s and, and uh, you know, half of the 60s. Hey, let's get him in there at, at 50 years old uh, for three games, 1976. By the way, Bill Veck is also the guy. Uh, who started a, a player who's three foot four, Eddie Goodell, right. uh, who's I forget what the number he had on his back of his jersey it was like one and one eighth. It was yeah. a fraction. It was something absurd. And told him, look, there's snipers on the roof. If you lift the bat off of your shoulder, you will not live to see another day. Just stand there. You're a spectacle. So Bill Veck was, you know, almost a sideshow carny in a lot of ways, um, even before Charlie Finley of the the Oakland and, and right. Kansas City A's, and so Minoso gets the gets in a couple games in 1976, and you know four years later he's 54. Hey, that's not that old. Threw him in, uh, you know, pinch hit for, for two again. games in 1980 in order to say that he was able to play in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s in five different decades. The only player to have ever possibly have done that. And yep. and again, made more of a sideshow of Mini Minoso than so, than should have been, but on his own, still a great player. Career two ninety eight hitter, three eighty nine on base, four fifty nine slugging. So not a huge slugging percentage, but a career one thirty OPS plus. That's really really good. Um, again, that's probably higher than like Nolan Arenado's career OPS plus. Uh, played 1,835 games, like you said. I mean, the guy, what a, what a fascinating career. All-star, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. But played in nine all-star games clubs. because they had more than one all-star <laughs> game right. on a couple of those That's seasons. right. So that's a weird one. Just, yeah, three gold gloves, a couple MVP votes. So, 
again, I, I've I've said this before on the pod. Like, I think All Star Game appearances actually has a lot of value because, again, we there there are there's there are tiers of Hall of Famers, right? We hey William Mays, mm-hmm. Williams, that's great. There's there's a rare few like Nolan Arenado. I has a long way to go. We all know how great. Not good. How great Nolan Arenado is, and he has a long way to go to even be in the Willie Mays, Ted Williams class. I don't. Know, he might not even be able to get there. He might be already like past the point where he needs to have already won an MVP. So that's like the right. the top one percent of the top one percent. Then right. you still have those great guys and then other guys who, you know, you're like, ah, eh, they're not so hot. Whatever, whatever. But, um, you know. All-star game appearances, you say, well, against your peers, against uh, the guys that you played with, where were you at? And that's one of the things that hurts a Fred McGriff, who has really great numbers. And you go, yeah, he wasn't an all-star that much because there were a lot of really good hitting first basemen. Same thing with Todd Helton. You go, ah, I don't remember him. Albert Pujols was there the whole time, yeah. Exactly right. And and people from other parts of the country where, you know, uh, before, you know, you, you could see any team except your own home team, ironically, uh, you know, in baseball all across the country, uh, you know, on your phone and stuff, the all-star game was one of those moments to go, all right, who, let me see what these guys look like. Let me see who the best players are. And if you're not there, you're not going to get remembered quite as fondly. So that hurts a Todd Helton. But I think for players like a mini Minoso, that should help them to say, man, every year, these guys were there as all-stars. They were notable names at the time. And that has a lot of value that I think, you know, doesn't get really rewarded quite as much as it should. Yeah. Uh, and, and since we're on the topic, by the way, of one of the most interesting elements of Minoso's career, uh, while the innocent asking about Don Baylor's hit by pitch numbers. And you know what? Baylor does indeed have him beat. He had 267 hit by pitches in his career. The most ever that Baylor had was in 1986. He was hit. 35 times Minoso's career high was 23 in 1956. So uh, Don Baylor, I'm sure he would say, look, he stood on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> Mini Minoso was one of those guys, I'm sure. Uh, if uh, and, and, and that's one that we didn't talk about. Again, he tragically passed away, um, you know, earlier than, obviously you never want to see anyone pass away, but earlier than his time and uh, uh, in the recent memory, and a, a big member of, of Rocky's history, obviously. But yeah, he was he led the league, Don Baylor did, in getting hit by pitch one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. So he didn't lead the league as many times as Minoso did. But over his career, yeah, 267 to Minoso's 192. And so that, that, was, that was the record that Craig Biggio broke was... Uh, he he was chasing Don Baylor there, so Baylor did have the record <laughs> for uh, a decade plus. The most interesting guy, uh, if you're talking about hit by pitch, if we're going to go down that rabbit hole, is, is check out the the Baseball Reference page for a gentleman named Ron Hunt, who uh, in 1971 was hit by a pitch 50 times. Uh, it was his calling card. Like he led the league seven straight seasons. There was a really great uh, research article done by. Um, in a baseball research journal, which you get if you're a member of the Society for American Baseball Research, mm-hmm. just kind of looking at guys who, like, I think basically extracted most of their value from getting hit by pitch and, and their on base percentage. And Ron Hunt was like head and shoulders above all of them, where I was like, if you took that ability to get hit by a pitch away, he, he, you know, he probably shouldn't have even been in the majors at that point. And so, right. uh, obviously, Don Baylor, much better than that. That was just a great little facet. To his game, same thing with uh, a Craig Biggio, who did go to Seton Hall University, which is in New Jersey. I should should point out. Um, Never heard. Of but that. yeah, it would, uh, the hit by pitch is definitely uh, a lost art. I I think uh, to a certain degree. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know. There, there's almost a skill to it. But on that note, and as this second simulation gets completely out of control. Rough day for Roy Halladay out there on the hill. Hey, he's going up against a bunch of Hall of Famers. Tom Seaver's going to get Frank Robinson swinging at the slider away. That's going to end that one for us there. And that's going to end 
our talk today. Yeah, that's right, Master Tater. Tacos. <laughs> the Rockies got tacos in December. Can you believe it? Uh, so what if they had to have, you know, a bunch of legends who never actually played for the Rockies out there to do it? We're living in thematic times here. Uh, it's been a strange year. It's obviously, as we talked about, been a tough year for the baseball family. Uh, but it, it was nice to be able to just remember and celebrate these guys today and, and not, you know, I, I didn't want to have a depressing in memoriam. So I'm really glad that we got to celebrate what they've done, what they've meant to us, what they've meant to the game. And yeah, just say thanks. Thanks for playing ball. Thanks for being a part of the tapestry. Yeah, and I, and I think this was a really good creative way. I, I, I love the idea when you proposed it of like, well, let's see them one more time on on, on, uh, on MLB The Show. And it's it's kind of the, the image that you have in your mind if you ever get a chance to go to the, the Field of Dreams. And you say, well, you know, our, our, our team that we can dream on here on, uh, on Earth, you know, may, may have lost seven more players, but uh, there's going to be some real, real good baseball games a lot more competitive out there in, in Iowa uh, coming up at the, the Field of Dreams ballpark. So um, we close our eyes. We can see those guys once again uh, with the rest of their baseball family. Yeah, absolutely. So thank, thank you to everyone for hanging out with us and, and going through that and remembering all those players. Share your thoughts with us on which one of these guys, you know, that, who's recently passed away, I kind of stretched back a little farther for Yogi Bear and Gary Carter, but in the last, you know, decade or so, who've really meant something to you. And, and you know, it's always good to remember them. I, uh, I'm a big sucker. I hear the new Pixar movie, Soul, is fantastic. Um, have you seen, oh, shoot, now I'm blanking on the name of it. Over the moon. One, the, the, the Mexican, um, uh, Dias de la Mortas. Uh, uh, it starts with the letter C. Coco. Thank you. Coco. I could, I could see the C and that was it. You could, you could see, yeah. It stars uh, that Coco. guy and then uh, there, there's a the girl worst, in it. No. There's, there's a dog. Forget Actually, that. there is. Um, but in Coco, and, and, I, and I believe in certain, you know, Hispanic culture, certainly in Mexican culture, I can't claim to be an expert, but that one of the beliefs is that, you know, as long as you are remembered... The big song from that that movie is Remember Me. It's a great song, great piece of music, listen to it. But it's about, as long as there are people out there who remember you, you never truly leave this world. Right? It's a beautiful message. And that's our, you know, so share your memories of these ballplayers with us because it literally means that they don't leave the world. They don't leave us when we share our memories of them. So cheers again. Bittersweet, but but, but accurate. I love that. Yeah. So thank you all for hanging out with us. Uh, hopefully you'll keep following us on social media at Patrick D. Lyons, at Drew Creaseman, at DNVR underscore Rockies. You give a subscribe to the DNVR.com so you don't miss out on any of that written content. Plus you get discounts on hats, shirts, masks. You get a bigger beer when you come back down to the DNVR bar when we get to reopen that thing. And you get to hang out with us in Discord and chat all that WWE slash AEW. I think we're kind of an AEW crowd. So if you're if you're an E person, you got to come throw it at us. Like we've been, we can go Abaddon, um, go Abaddon. <laughs> so excited for that. Uh, but you get to come hang out with us and talk about all that stuff if you subscribe. Other than that, we can only ever ask that you continue to be absolutely awesome. We promise you that we will continue to be absolutely Patrick Lyons and Drew Creaseman. And until next time, we will see you ballpark.